Guys, today I am joined by Hannah Carell. Have I said that right? Carell. <laughs> Probably should have checked. Carell. God I damn it, I should have checked. It's Carell like in the ocean, but I don't mind if you say Carell because then people know how to spell it. To be fair, it is spelt Carell. like Carell. Just say Carell. But it's Hannah Carell. <laughs> and she is. Oh, we're keeping that, are we? Yeah, no, 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 no. We don't edit out anything. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's spelt Corel. It's Coral. <laughs> she is the noble psych. And today we are going to talk about how to break up well. Um, <clears throat> now, Hannah is a fierce mental health advocate and she brings neurology and psychology together to explain common life dilemmas, but minus the bullshit, which I like because we actually use, um, we're Pilates without the bullshit a lot. So ah, I feel like kindred spirits. when I found you, I was like, mm-hmm, mm. okay, she's a peach. I like this woman. <laughs> That's actually my nickname, Peaches. <gasps> Yeah. What? <laughs> How did we not discuss that? Okay, yeah, that's a well, story for another time. I bruise like a peach, so. Oh, okay. Well, welcome to the Peaches family. Great to be <laughs> um, here. Hannah, you help people learn skills like assertiveness, which I love, um, how to break up well, and how to have a good fight. Before we get into all the juicy bits, can you tell us what the hell a new <laughs> neuropsychologist is? <laughs> Please. <Yeah. laughs> I was saying to, to Tori and Chris before, nobody knows what a neuropsych is. You'd be like the only person I'd ever met in my life who knew what my job was. <laughs> so there's only like 7,000 neuropsychs in all of Australia, basically. So we start off as psychologists. So that's therapy, you know, anxiety, depression. When you see a psychologist for, you know, 10, maybe 20 sessions, maybe for years even, um, and they help your mental health. And a neuropsychologist is someone who's continued to go on to specialize to learn about brain disorders. So most people have heard the term IQ, you know, your IQ, we all have an IQ, it's your intellectual quotient. And that's sort of the idea of, you know, the intelligence that you have and, and how your brain works. So the speed, the attention, the puzzles, the verbal skills, the memory, all of those things. So a neuropsychologist measures those things. So we can use pen and paper tests to figure out what part of your big, beautiful brain is working really well. And then what part of your brain might need a little bit more help. So people like, I diagnose a lot of like women with ADHD, autism, um, in the hospital job I do, I do a lot of work with dementia and um, people with perhaps, you know, psychiatric issues like borderline or substance addiction. So just the fallout of that on your brain and then how to optimize your amazing neurodiversity to get the most out of life. Okay, so you're a fucking angel <laughs> walking on earth. That is amazing. Thank that you. That is so interesting. Thank you so much for coming today. Oh, I'm pleasure. really excited to pick your brain. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and sorry for all the swear words. I'm probably way oh, more uncouth than all the people you're used to dealing no, with. No, it's actually really nice because I, I have a little bit of – I do that myself sometimes and I try, always try and slip up, but it's very – I feel very comfortable. Girl, you do you here, you do you. Um, and the only other thing that I kind of want to ask you is how you marry them together for your patient. So you've, mm. got, you've sort of half explained that. But I guess what I've gathered is that you figure out how someone's brain is working and then, and forgive me if I'm wrong, <laughs> you – so say um, someone's autistic, you're then able to help them understand how their autism affects their relationships in everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think if you can sort of think of it like your brain has a cup of like 
you know, a cup of how much it can handle in life. And it's sort of like we all got to get to those points where the cup is overflowing with, you know, the baby and the dog and the partner and the podcast and, you know, the Lego, (laughs) the Lego you stepped on this morning or whatever it is. Um, We all have like a, a cognitive cup and our cup overloads at certain points. So you can, you can call the overload where your cup is overflowing and you're sitting on the crank of the couch and you feel like you're losing your mind. You look in the mirror and go, am I going crazy? Like you just feel like I can't do this anymore. You know, those days we've all had them. I've had especially battled with anxiety all my life. Um, but you, you, the psychology would be the overflowing cup and the neurology, the neuropsychology part is, is the size of the cup and how high the cup was full already. Where are you starting from? Some people wake up in the morning and their cup is empty and they're refreshed. Other people wake up and their cup is a little half full already because they are super sensitive to sounds and light and they don't understand the traditional way that social skills work or they're so, yeah, or they're, they're so inattentive that they, they, it takes them an hour to do something that's supposed to take 20 minutes. So their cup is already, you know, half full. And then you add the rest of the normal day to that. And all of a sudden we're getting functioning overflowing. God, I love that analogy. (laughs) So it's kind of marrying. Yeah. What's the water in your cup? What are the psychological factors that make things harder? But also just owning your own cup. What's your brain cup look like? How big is it? What's it already full of? And what is the, the amazing gifts that that gives you? You know, some people might be super uh, hyper-focused or they can spot details really, really well, or maybe they're a little bit slower, but they can work out the solution to a problem from a totally different way of seeing it than other people would ever have thought about it. So it's kind of like that double-edged sword. You know, there's a gift, but there's a cost to the gift. And we kind of figure out what's the gift and, and how can we ameliorate the cost? Amazing. Okay. I mean, I could talk to you way more about yeah, that. Second episode. <laughs> Second episode for sure. Um, but today I want to cover how to break up with key people or factors in your life. So mm. it could be a toxic friend that you've had since high school and they're always cancelling your plans or they're never remembering your birthday mm. um, or it's a bad boss or a bad job or even a partner. Um, but before we delve into that... I really think that a healthy part of any civil breakup is learning how to fight well. Mm. So can you please, Hannah, (laughs) give us some tips on how to de-escalate arguments? Mm. And shall I've got three little kind of sections. Should we start with fights with a partner? Because we're all interested in that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, this is a great question because – think it taps into the fundamental idea that so many people don't actually ever acknowledge which is it's very normal to fight in a relationship it's normal and it's part of being in a relationship and part of being a real person because if you if you never ever ever fought that would be weird that would mean that you were being maybe like a Stepford wife. Yeah. yeah you would be hiding because even when you live by yourself, even when you don't have a partner, there are things that upset you and aggravate you and worry you or frustrate you. There's, that's just part of the human condition is that sometimes it just sucks. <laughs> sometimes things suck and you've got to work through that. So when you put two human beings together and you build a life together where, you know, there's a toilet involved and there's a, a shower, <laughs> and there's, you know, dishes in the bloody groceries <laughs> and tea bags everywhere, you know, there's there's life that happens. So it's normal. I think the, the first slip up is, is thinking that 
the presence of fights or disagreements mean that there's something fundamentally wrong with the relationship. That's not true. It's actually very healthy and it's the healthiest thing to do to, to acknowledge that, yeah, this is part of our relationship is to have disagreements and to work through them. Um, it, where it where it's, you know, a toxic or not toxic is the way that you communicate those fights. So, you know, I've got a psychologist. I see a psychologist myself. Like I've got- She practices what she preaches. <laughs> do, yeah. I love it. Yeah, because I've, I've had to work with really severe anxiety. So um, growing up, you know, we-, we just learnt to be anxious all the time. So I've had to manage that myself. And part of that is like, as you get become an adult, realising your ability to say when something's not right and be able to not be afraid to say, when this happened, it wasn't quite right for me. And when that happened, it wasn't quite right for me. Um, can we try something different? And I think when you when you end up being, you know, an anxious adult, as so many of us are, especially women, we can, we can grow up, you know, n- needing to downplay or learning that we have to make ourselves very small and that we can't rock the boat and we can't make a fuss and don't you dare be a high maintenance don't be high maintenance girl oh nothing phases me she's crazy oh she's crazy you know that that kind of stereotype I think we're kind of gaslit with that a lot like you complained about something complained about something hysterical yeah Yeah. whereas if a man was to perhaps make the same comments they'd be called assertive and they'd be called authentic and knowing what they want and being true to themselves so you know I think battling with that is something you a lot of a lot of people have to do to know that when something happens and you know you're you're not speaking it out. Like, why am I sitting here having this internal conversation in my head where I know I'm upset about something, but I'm not saying it out loud? And then I'm harboring it for a really long time. It festers for a really long time, and then something, you know, a few things happen, and eventually we kind of bottle it up, and then we we sort of let it all out when we we absolutely have to. And our partner's going, "Whoa, that was a disproportionate reaction," but we know it wasn't disproportionate because there was many things that was cumulatively but adding that's to not our cup. Fighting well, is it? Fighting well <laughs> mm. is saying at the moment, in that moment in time, when the moment presents itself, hey. Mm this is not cool with me, Mm. rather than you've pissed me off Mm -hmm. and then in two weeks when you leave the sponge in the sink, I'm going (laughs) to fucking lose it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, okay, being present and being confident in vocalising what makes you unhappy. Yeah, being able to be your authentic self, you know, what what are the things what are the rules you have around being a partner? What should you be doing? What should you not be doing? And those are your personal rules, which might be I should always make my partner happy. I shouldn't ever complain. I shouldn't ever say say that I'm upset about anything. You know, just having an honest look inside yourself and, and maybe working with a psychologist to figure out what what is it that keeps you from being able to be true or honest about what's going on. Um, I think that's the more complex answer. The easy answer for fighting fair is obviously there's the red flag. So if you're screaming, you're yelling, you're swearing, or you're having those things done to you, that's when we start to move into toxic territory because it's making us feel unsafe. It's unsafe kind of behaviour that makes it very hard to work through an issue when one person shuts down because they feel attacked. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Mm. It's all so true. (laughs) You're ringing all the bells. Okay. Um, Fighting or maybe we should probably call this disagreeing Mm. in the workplace. Mm. Because that's like a whole different 
scenario where you've got to have your little professional hat on and your neutral tone. Mm, yeah, that, I think workplace is is slightly more nuanced in the sense that you you do need to put that professional face on and you do need to modulate your tone of voice and you do need to be wary about what you say and how you say it. Um, I always say like the cover your ass principle is really good in those Ooh, situations. That sounds like something I need to hear about. <laughs> Tell me more. Cover your ass. So <laughs> CYA, cover your ass. See ya. Um, it's it, those kind of settings where we we set expectations from the get go, and this again taps into not being afraid to just speak your truth. So if you know you know something's not going to work out, and you can see that there's a you can your crystal ball, you can see in a few weeks' time we're going to have an issue with um, the delivery of this project, or we're going to have an issue with. Um, meeting the supply demands or whatever it is, because you can see that your your work colleague or the people you're working with aren't meeting their requirements, you know, sitting on it and not saying anything. And then when it blows up going, I knew this would happen and I know it's going to, the fall, it's going to hit me. It's sort of setting up scaffolds before things occur to protect yourself. So, you know, taking minutes, unfortunately it's that, that, that answer of we do need to be a bit finicky. We have to take the minutes and, and write the notes and send the emails and clarify the details and, and set that really quite forthcoming communication of in order for us to reach this goal, this is what I'm going to need from you by this date and, and writing that and getting that in writing and getting confirmation. Yeah. Will you be able to mm. uphold your end of the deal, I guess. Yeah. And using language that kind of puts it on the, puts it to your colleague to come to the party with their answer, you know, in order for us to achieve this, this deliverable, I'm going to need this from you and I'm going to need it from this date. And you've got that in an email and you've written that. And I think again, we're once again, circling back to women in the workplace and the way that we use language and the way that we feel assertive in the workplace. Cause I know for a lot of women, we, we use a lot of cushioning words. Babe, I am the queen of it. Queen of cushioning. <laughs> I, and also like, I don't always feel because, you know, we're in our own company, we make our own rules mm. or all of our relationships mm. are warm and fuzzy and intimate. Mm. Um, but that also means that when it comes time to be really direct with someone, mm. I find it really hard yes. because I'm their friend as mm. well. Mm-hmm. You know, like most of the people that I work really closely with, they're family to me. Mm. So then if, if a, t- a time comes when I have to give feedback and it's not always positive, I find it really difficult. Mm, yeah. um, but I try to in an authentic way, like I really feel like this is important for me to say that I'm not doing it just to get the result that I want. But I like for me, I am definitely someone who responds well to positive feedback. Mm. So I always try to lead with that as well. And often it's a bit of a compliment sandwich. So if I've got some feedback that I need to give someone, I let them know what they've done well. Mm. And I let them know what I think we should work on and then finish with, but overall you're fucking killing it. <laughs> and thrilled that we're working together. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying, Tori. And I feel, and I sense, you know, I can almost feel the listeners like that oppressive sense of needing to validate the person and needing to cushion the person and needing to protect them from the fallout of your honesty, which might be, you know, this is not personal. Like it's not a personal remark, but I gave you that deadline and you missed the deadline and I would like for that to not happen again. I need to just <laughs> literally say that next time. Yeah. So that that 
just I think just noticing within ourselves and if any listeners this is resonating with you like when you when you go to write the accountability email like I asked for this and, and it didn't happen or I was unsatisfied with the service I received that that overwhelming feeling of like I must cushion this I must protect them I must I must like wrap them up in cotton wool and make sure that I'm not hurting them and where is it actually coming from ultimately where is it coming from and and in some ways we we often find if we scratch the surface a little bit it's that approval seeking like I don't want you to be upset at me I don't want to hurt your feelings I don't want you not to like me I don't want you to be annoyed at me and I don't want to feel like I'm in trouble you know feeling like we're in trouble you know that that person we've we've held them to account and they've gotten upset and now we feel like we're in trouble because we've rocked the boat but that's not freaking fair is it no like <laughs> sometimes you just got to do your job and if you didn't mm. that's not my fault mate yeah okay i'm re- i really learned something there i think <laughs> that i actually need to toughen up a little bit we'll test the and boundaries just be a little bit more direct and sometimes like what i've just learned then is sometimes it's okay to just say it yeah you said that you were going to achieve this by this date and you didn't and I really need that to not happen again and I can take away the little floralized compliment sandwich Mm. and the this and that because sometimes that ends up not getting you the result the next time yeah because maybe they didn't feel they didn't take it seriously enough well just testing though you do an experiment test the boundaries you know do you jump into giving them an excuse like I know that you had a lot of work on I know this I know that you can just sort of feel that urge and just sit back for a second, take a deep breath and say, you know, you you didn't hit the deadline. Why was that? And let them answer. Babe, I feel like I'm in therapy. (laughs) This is, I'm enjoying this so much. Can I just say like how awesome it is meeting such an intelligent, well-spoken woman. I just fucking love connecting with amazing women. No, this is awesome. It's, it's, I think for anyone listening, it's, it's, it's just that, that, practicing and I'm I'm the same like I have a business too I've got a practice in Cremorne um where I do my neuropsych stuff and and working on exactly the same things where I'm afraid to say to people this wasn't okay or you I asked you to do this or I needed this or please don't speak to me like that like I deal with exactly the same thing you know I've had nights like a few weeks ago I was crying in bed because I was like I thought the receptionist was upset with me because I asked you know and it just killed me killed me in my heart but you know that that working with that anxiety and where does it come from and then just doing little experiments with ourselves where we go am I writing the word just a lot like just do a little experiment I just said it then Mm -hmm. do a little experiment with yourself when you write your email when you write your text to your partner or your work colleague did you use the word just can I just ask? That's a, that's Can a, I just say? That's a cushioning uh, word. That's a cushioning word to soften what you're saying. Can you practice deleting the just, taking away just a little, oh, I've done it again, <laughs> a little experiment for you to see what happens. Does the earth shatter? Does the worst thing in the world happen or is it fine? Yeah, and maybe everyone just needs to grow up a little bit and toughen up a little bit. You know what? My husband is really good at helping me do that a little bit more mm. um, and it really validates peaches as a business and also helps us freaking function mm. and I'll you know I'll write replies to things and he'll be like okay let's delete like four of these paragraphs yeah he's like babe we just need to get to the point I don't need mm. to know that and I'm like but 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 if and no you're right you're right okay 
so helpful to have the middleman. To, oh, and like to, literally yeah. man being the operative word yeah. here. A bit of masculine energy, you know, a bit of BDE, baby. I love it in the house. <laughs> oh, I was like, what's BDE? <laughs> I just clicked. I love that big dick energy. All right, moving right along. <laughs> well, we want BVE, BVE. That's what we're after big now. Big badge energy. <laughs> yes, yes, we can do this, ladies. Fuck yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, and final question about fighting before we get into breakups i find this one the hardest conflict with a friend Mm, yeah yeah i mean well i wrote a book about it like yeah you you could talk talk about this for days um again it's tapping into communication and like i know everybody rolls their eyes when a psychologist is like communication like i just feel like i'm such a stereotype saying that but the hardest thing i've ever had to learn like i'm 34 now um in my 20s, I was crippled with the inability to ever say when something was wrong. Like, to the smallest degree, like, somebody, a friend would be like, what do you want to do for dinner? You know, and I'd be like, oh, well, I'm easy, whatever you want, you know, I'm easy. And just that, like, so detached from feeling what I wanted, so detached from listening to my own gut instinct about what was right or what was what was right for me because I just put everybody's needs ahead of my own that I couldn't even say what I wanted for dinner because I didn't know. I'd be like, I don't know. But if I was on my own, of course I'd know. It's like a pizza. Of course I want pizza. I always want pizza. But, you know, with a with a friend or with anyone who had like – well, anyone really, I just would constantly put other people's needs above my own. Um, and it's taken me a solid, like more than a decade to kind of get to the point of going, just realizing, no, I'm not perfect at this yet, but actually having that epiphany, that light bulb moment of, oh my God, I don't, I don't connect with myself to find out what I want. And then when I do know what I want, I get so afraid to say it. I get so afraid to say when something wasn't right or so afraid to say when, or what was what was in my best interest or to say when someone was inappropriate to the point that I had friends who were swearing at me when they were drunk or you know just doing outrageous things and I couldn't I couldn't say to them that's not okay to treat me like that and you know on the flip side of putting up with abuse it's also detrimental not only to yourself but to that friend that is robbing that friend of a genuine friendship. Yeah. I don't want to be friends with someone who never tells me how they actually Absolutely. feel. Mm. Who always just holds up a mirror and goes, oh, yeah, whatever you want, because that's not friendship. Like the it's whole not authentic. point is, yeah, it's not authentic. Mm. I want to grow. I want to learn about you. I want to embrace our differences. Be deeper. Yeah. Mm, go deeper in the relationship. And I think a big part of this was not knowing the language. Like I didn't know the right words to use to be assertive. I thought being assertive meant that, you know, it was a big confrontation and yeah, there were some toxic people in my life who, when I did try to be assertive, it was a big confrontation. It scared me. And I think that's, that might, you know, speak to a lot of people who are listening where they've tried to assert themselves and somebody blew up at them and it was really unfair. And you get a bit scarred from that experience and you go, Oh, I won't do that again. Oh my God, I'm not going to do that again. But you know, it's that practicing. And and I did, I did write, I'd made an app called assert yourself now where I've literally got my voice saying out sentences, you know, when you called me an idiot, it hurt my feelings. Please don't call me an idiot again, you know, and, and it's learning the script, learning the script of 
how to be assertive because we say be assertive say people tell people what's going on communicate but we we miss but that how yeah we miss that second step of well what the hell do I say what do I say and in the moment it's like it was hard to say it in the moment and and knowing that it's okay to send it later and, and message them later and it's okay to to let somebody know after the fact that something wasn't okay too so almost like getting the permission of of you being able to communicate but then what the, what do I communicate? What the F do I actually say? Um, and I think we really lack this, like the education in Australia and maybe other countries as well, where we're teaching young women and probably young men, this is how you can fight fair. This is how you can say when something's not quite right, because you're allowed to do that calmly and courteously and not screaming, not swearing. When X happened, it made me feel bad. Please don't do X again. And that's okay. And then it's on to, we, we're, we're throwing the ball back, the ball of accountability. I told you, we're throwing the ball to the, the other person to catch, to go, oh, okay, I didn't realize. I'm sorry about that. I won't do it again. And either they're going to catch it and run with it, or they're going to drop it and be toxic. And that's when we know, okay, we well, don't want to give your ball to them anyway. <laughs> we're going to have to move into breakup territory. So, you know, but the first step is, is us actually taking accountability in the first place saying it and also i i don't know i'm a big believer in you got to give people the benefit of the doubt as mm. well honestly a lot of the time when someone might have offended you or triggered you they probably didn't mean it yeah and also they will never get to learn better unless you tell them mm. because you just if you never say anything and you put up with things you just dictate for the mm. way people t- to treat you mm-hmm. um Getting into breakup territory, she says, all right, let's go for it. Let's talk breakups. And um, on this subject of friends and toxic friendships, I am willing to wager that most of our (laughs) listeners have had a friend in their life, likely someone who they have known for many years, who's basically a constant disappointment. Let's be real. Whether it's snide remarks. How many? Oh, my God. Snide remark. Like, what does that mean? That's such a loaded comment. What did you even mean by that when you freaking muttered that under your breath? Mm. Or never being a hype girl. You never hype me up. I'm always, you know, in your corner. Even mm. as some, something simple as, God, you look great today. Or, mm. man, that was awesome mm. that you did that with work. If someone never reciprocates that, I think that's getting a little toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, or even, I hate this, someone being so unreliable that you can, you just truly don't trust that something will happen or you can't make plans. Mm. It's just, it's not cool. Um, So this friend is toxic. Hannah, please, (laughs) how do we go about cutting these people Mm. out of our lives without drama? Yeah. Okay, cool. Great question. Um, uh, You know, like the, the, it's such a, it's a, it's a complicated, we want to do the, the justice to this issue and, and I'll jump in quickly and say like, this is a big issue. Like I've written a whole book about it, you know, and I would encourage people to think about if they are going through a breakup, have a, have a read of it because we do want to give the justice that this topic deserves. And yeah, the you're time not going to be able space. to answer it in, in the next five minutes. <laughs> but I'll try. <laughs> I feel like this is a really nice little like shout out to your book. Yeah, thank you. A little bit of a like taste of what's to come. Guys, Sorry. at Peaches, we are all about supporting <laughs> our fellow female entrepreneurs. How to Break Up with Friends is Hannah's book. And I would really like it if you went and bought it. <laughs> Thanks, girl. So, 
Yeah, you know, I think firstly saying we're not we're not wanting to do anything in the heat of the moment because that's when, you know, you're more than likely going to be in your reptilian brain, which basically just means your fight and flight brain. We're operating from a place of emotions, fear, flight, flight, freeze, fawn response, which is the, the place our body biologically goes when you're exposed to a toxic person we've got this thing called the polyvagal theory which basically means a vagus nerve like viva oh las vegas but spelt with an a instead of an e the vagus nerve turns on when you're exposed to a toxic person and it turns on your fight and flight response your sympathetic nervous system that is that fight and flight response which is fight so you're going to yell scream raise your voice or they might flight i'm just not going to say anything i'm going to run away from this situation freeze i'm gonna make myself really 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 small and just cop the abuse that this person is dishing out to me even though i don't deserve it i'm not going to defend myself i'm gonna freeze or fawn which is the people pleasing response which is let me let me give you even more you're being mean to me but let me bend over backwards even more to help you and i'm going to agree to move your house and drive you to the airport and you know shout your drinks even though you're currently hurling abuse at me and being snide trying to placate you do you know what i've heard of fight i've heard of flight i've Mm. heard of freeze but fawn yeah that that is that belongs there yeah definitely and that's that's we've added to the fight and flight model and and fawn is a, a evolutionary good response because it helps protect you in some ways if you can befriend the bully then that de-escalates the bully. They'll stop attacking you because you're on on the bully side now. Oh, my God. If I was in a tribe back in, I don't know, 10,000 BC or whatever, I'm going to ingratiate myself to that motherfucker. Because I don't want to get kicked out of the tribe. It's a clever strategy. It's a clever strategy to keep you safe. And that's why it's evolutionarily hardwired into our body to do that. And, And sometimes we fluctuate between all four of them. So... In the heat of the moment, it is very hard to get out of our reptilian brain, get out of our emotional limbic brain and get into our big, fat, juicy frontal lobes, which is the top part of your brain, which is not the reactionary emergency brain. It's the calm brain. It's your wise mind. It's your adult brain who can take a deep breath. Think through the situation. It's that little voice that pops into your head when you're lying in bed awake at night, replaying the oh, conversation. that guy. That guy. <laughs> the one that goes, why did I agree to that? Like, oh my God. The one that doesn't commit to things in the heat of the moment. The one that thinks things through rationally and uses their calm voice and, and is able to articulate, oh, that's why that upset me. And, and we, we, you know, you've been in that place when later the next day you're like, oh, okay, now that I'm not in the situation, I can think it through. So giving yourself the space to do that is very important. And I'd say if you're a few cocktails down and, you know, your friend has insulted your, you know, your outfit or made a snide remark or made you the butt of the joke, probably that is not the time <laughs> to action the friendship breakup. Um, And the steps ahead is, have you communicated with that friend? Have you given them the warnings? Have you let them know what upset you? But then if we get to a point where we know, okay, it is time to break up with this friend and it's not working for me, there are a couple of different ways you can do it. And I talk about in the book, um, the two different ways we can go about this. One is kind of the readjusting of effort levels um, for people who we might continue to have contact with because they're our sister-in-law or <laughs> because they're part of our big friendship group and we know we're going to see them again. Right, so you just got to scale back because you can't be invested anymore. Yeah. 
less yeah. time. So whatever time, energy and money you're putting into that relationship that you're not getting back, why do you continue to put that time, energy, money? You can still be cordial. You can still be polite, but it might be that, okay, when we're not going to be flying to Melbourne for their wedding, we're just going to send them a nice card. You know, we're readjusting the effort levels. So that might work in some situations, readjusting effort levels. In other situations, yes, you may need a very direct breakup. And I've got a lot of scripts in the book about how you might word that and where you might do it and how it might occur. But oh, that's very helpful. <laughs> but essentially, it's it's about being able to say, you know, to this person who's being quite toxic and after repeated, you know, I've asked you not to do that. You've just done it again. I'm going to leave now. You, I think it's it's helpful for people to know, and I'm a big advocate for this, not all breakups have to be something that you do face to face, especially if that person is really toxic, which is probably why you're breaking up with them. And you know, they're going to raise their voice, swear, air all your dirty laundry, get really heated. And you might feel quite physically or emotionally intimidated around them. Sometimes it is really safe to be able to curate a message that is, you know, like a, a text. I'm a big advocate for text messages. I know like, Lots of people think, you know, sex in the city, Carrie, where she gets the broken post-it. up with a post-it note, but it's a different time. Like this is a different time. This is 2022. Like we can communicate. It's a different time. We can communicate through writing and often through writing, it's a lot less heated. It gives you a lot of space to really think about what you want to write and how you want to write it. And say what you want to say without being interrupted. Exactly. And it also gives the recipient the time and space to read through that message and take their time as well to think through what they want to respond and how they want to say their 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 answer to those things or or you know what they yeah whatever it is that they're going to reply with it gives you both kind of that it gives your reptilian brain that space to take a breather and write something that's not in the heat of the moment. Now, some people might go, I want to do it face to face and that's fine. If you want to do that, I would just advise people think of a neutral place, you know, don't do it at your house. Don't do it at their house. Don't drive in the same car to the cafe together. Don't have their keys to your car. They've got your keys in their handbag or something. You know, you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself and you just, we're just thinking through forward plan for what the issues might be. Or maybe we can go to a nice little cafe or maybe we can go for a little walk or maybe we can sit down at, you know, at the park and and have a little chat. Um, And being able to say like, Hey, look, I'm just, I'm in a place now where I, I can't put as much effort into this friendship as I have in the past. And I'm, you probably notice I'm going to pull back, pull back a bit. I can't actually put as much effort as I used to, or it might be, Hey, I, you know, this is this friendship. I've, I've given you a few warnings about the way you've been treating me. And I, I find that it's, I'm leaving our interactions feeling worse than when I've come into them. And at this point in our relationship, I think it's better for me to, to part ways with you now. Thanks for the times that we've had together. And I wish you all the best for the future. I mean, it's very grown up. It's very, so very grown, grown up. up. Scary. Um, rather Gives than ghosting someone. It's, I, mm. you know, I have a lot of respect for that. And I also have a lot of respect for the opportunity that you give someone to do better. Yeah. Because if you don't tell them, then how the hell do they know? Mm. Um, but you've got to have a boundary. You've got to have a limit. Um, okay. Well, we could talk about that all day. <laughs> but let's talk about an awful boss or a job, work environment that either leaves you bored to tears mm. or 
worse, so incredibly stressed that you're on like the verge of a panic attack every time an email pings. Yeah. And I guess I also want to preface this question by saying that when it comes to our professional lives, the last thing we want to do is damage our reputation by acting either with too much haste, reptile, mm. reptile brain, mm-hmm. I've learned, mm-hmm. um, or with way too much emotion. Yes. So how can we exit a nasty job but keep our reference list in check? Yeah, this is such a great question. And I, you know, I've been there too with workplaces that have been toxic uh, in the past where exactly that, you know, people are I think what can often happen is, and in my experience, it, it was like that over scrutinization of your performance where there's a microscope being put on you and everything you do is being uh, sort of overly scrutinized. And what we know from the literature with bullying in the workplace is that when somebody is over scrutinized, when somebody is, when we watch what somebody does with a fine tooth comb, with a magnifying glass, it causes anxiety. And what does anxiety do to performance? Well, it, it tends to make you miss details, make more errors and, and make mistakes. So you, by virtue of the fact that you're being over-scrutinised, you're more likely to make mistakes. So it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and that's why things can get really messy and difficult when we have, you know, being performance managed in the workplace or when we choose to let uh, let somebody know you know, this is what's happening to me in the workplace. If you trust, you know, your HR department and you say, this person's made inappropriate comments to me. And the truth of the matter is that there are some workplaces, I think we need to be real about it, Tori, there are some workplaces where it's not safe for you to go and confide to HR. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And it's it, a harsh reality. It's. Th- I think this is where we, you know, this is us stepping into our like I don't want to say same cliched by saying it, but stepping into your power of going, what does your gut tell you? Is this a workplace that's going to protect you and take care of you? Is it a HR department that's going to protect the individual? Or what's the pattern of behaviour by that HR department? You know, has has there been a... a is it a freaking club? Is there a yeah. trail of destruction of anyone else who's ever dared to say something was wrong? What happened to them? How were they treated? Did they get ousted? Did they get performance managed performance managed until they couldn't handle it anymore and then had to leave the workplace. So look at the track record of the company. Like, do they protect people who step forward and speak out and say whistleblowers essentially who say this person's behavior is inappropriate? How do they manage it? Or do they have a pattern of turning against the individual and protecting the bigger company and, and making you the problem? So I think it is really important to acknowledge that that does happen. We don't live in a utopia. This, unfortunately, yeah. it's not all going to be fair in love and war, is it? Yeah. yeah. And I think it would be unrealistic for me to say every, every workplace has a good HR. Just trust your HR. Go and tell your HR. Because you might not work in a place that has a HR that you can trust. So getting external advice can be really valuable. So there are a lot of professional coaches. There are, you know, assertiveness training courses. And there are just, you know, places you can go if there's a senior person who works in that environment, who maybe works in a different company or who you used to know when you were at uni? Is there a lecturer you can approach? Is there a friend who's in the area? Is there a friend of a friend, someone you can touch base with? Just to see, I I think getting validated and, and 
checking in to see if you're being gaslit a little bit, checking with someone who doesn't have a vested interest in the company. There's no bias there. So you can sit down and you can say, this is the email that I got from my colleague, or this is the way I was treated. And they can say to you, I think you're being a little bit oversensitive. I was about to say, I feel like there is the important flip side to not bring your bias into the conversation. Showing an email or doing something like that is a really good idea because sometimes when there has been not one job, not two jobs, but maybe three jobs Mm. where there's been a bit of a repetitive pattern, sometimes you do have to hold a mirror up and go, okay. Is it me being oversensitive or is it really, truly there's a problem here with, yeah, I think that's why I say having an external support can be really helpful because you know they don't have a vested interest in the company. You know they're going to give you an honest answer. Um, and if they're not, you know, your sister or your mum or someone, then they don't probably don't have a, be- a vested interest in you either. <laughs> so yeah. they, you know, being able to say, look, I would really like some honest feedback. What is your opinion of this? And just kind of gauging with that person, does this sound reasonable? Um, what are your thoughts on this? That can be a really great roadmap to help you know, okay, am I, am I being a little bit disproportionate in my reaction or was it, yeah, was it true that this, the way that they've worded this or the way that they've spoken to me wasn't actually appropriate? And then we can activate the next step, which is to communicate again, you know, hey, like, please, next time I need you to give me so many days notice ahead of time or next time I need you to just let me know X, Y, Z and setting those expectations, setting in the scaffold I mentioned before, the cover your ass principle. So we can, what can we learn for next time? What went wrong? What can I do for next time to make sure that doesn't happen again? Um, And if it's just, you know, protocol issues and deadline issues and timeline issues, those might be workable things. And like things that you should want to be workable because you're never going to walk into a job and do it perfectly. Mm. It, that, that there's no point in that. So I think it is important. Like I do think, and I don't want to sound like I'm old, (laughs) but I do think there can be a little bit of a trend towards, Oh, that was too hard. No, I'm, I'm leaving. Oh my God, this is toxic. And this is exhausting for my mental health. Sometimes you have to try Mm. and you have to learn and you have to accept that, Sometimes constructive feedback makes you a better person Mm. and develops your professional skill set. So sometimes, you know, I mean, like in, in, in my days before Peaches, like sitting down with an editor in some of my writing jobs and having them in a really like kind and considerate way, basically with a red line, scratch Mm. off half of the shit that I've written was the best thing that could have happened Mm. to me. Rather than me being like, they don't trust my artistic voyage and I can't work under these circumstances. Like I do sometimes think that in a work environment particularly, we do have to learn how to grow and take feedback. But this isn't about, this podcast isn't about that. This podcast (laughs) is about breakups. But I do think it's important to know when a breakup is appropriate, I suppose. Mm. That's what I'm kind of getting at. Yeah. And I think you're tapping into when we're taking things personally. And again, this is that that tendency women have to second guess ourselves and second guess our perception of, am I being am I reacting disproportionately? Is my emotions correct in this situation? We second guess our emotions a lot. And it is important not to be, you know, overly emotional in a work setting, but we can express disappointment. We can express frustration when something's, when someone's been overtly rude or aggressive or undermining you, it is, there is a place for feeling down and sad and, and affected by that. 
um, as you say, you know, this is that this is that beautiful wiggle room of learning to communicate. How do we how do we tell our colleagues? Okay, next time to make this better, let's work on this. Let's have a review session where we work on what can we improve, what did we do good, what can we improve for next time, what will I do next time to make sure that I'm covering all my bases so this issue doesn't happen again. Um, and then you know if if that communication continues to break down, then yeah, maybe down the track going, is this really working for me? And do I need to think about, you know, whether this is working for my long-term career goals? Um, And as you say, like sometimes it really does take time to settle into a workplace and find your groove and to find yourself in that workplace and, and where you fit in and how the style works and how the culture works. So, you know, giving it time is good, but I think making sure when you do that that little period of, of wiggle room or period of time that you get you do take care of that part of yourself that might be sad or that might be struggling and maybe that's which we're picking where we get the support so we're getting the unbiased opinion from a professional who's a superior or a senior who we can trust who's not got vested interest maybe we get the emotional support from you know some supportive friends or family or highly highly recommend you know have seeing a psychologist and getting that action just just being real with the fact that yeah this is hard and I'm navigating a really tricky job and whether it's real or perceived I'm really anxious I'm really really anxious it's okay to be anxious it's okay to have imposter syndrome it's okay to feel like you don't know what you're doing or that people aren't really supporting you in the way that you need you can feel you can have two feelings at the same time I want to make this work I'm committed to making this work oh my god this fucking sucks (laughs) we can have those two feelings at the same time and we can honor both of them by working hard in the workplace, but also getting the support that you need external to that. So can you go and see a psychologist? Can you seek that support elsewhere? Can you get the emotional support and validation from a professional to help you navigate those complex emotions? And knowing when to separate. I think that's really important. Knowing when to separate your emotions from a job Mm. um I mean I'm just thinking of a few of my friends and my most successful friends are the people who are able to in a healthy way not over the top but in a healthy way actually sort of compartmentalize Mm. their lives in their professional career Mm. and they're able to kind of just switch on their professional mode not take a person take emotion out of things mm. and just focus on getting the job done and i do think that traditionally this has sort of been a stereotypically male kind of skill mm. um but i think that as women we are really learning that we also can function in that way mm. and we don't have to always 100% of the time live in our feminine. I think that both men and women have feminine and masculine traits and that they have a really valid place in our lives, you know, depending on what time of the freaking day it is. Mm. You know, when I'm writing an email and I'm on a video call and I'm trying to negotiate something, I might step into my masculine and be direct Mm. and not overthink things and not feel emotional. And then when I'm with my daughter, I'm an open, I'm a freaking puddle on the floor. (laughs) 
you know, dive in, let's go. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of what you're tapping into is if you think of like you as a person, like me as a person right now, I'll give you an example. Like we're all, think of yourself as an iceberg, you know, like remember Titanic, like the top of the iceberg shows, but then there's everything underneath the iceberg. So for me, really fundamentally at the very bottom of the iceberg is was this ultimate fear of unlovable or not good enough. And then that, permeates up the iceberg to how we interact and what everyone else sees and that the way that that comes out might be validation seeking making yourself small not speaking your truth getting paranoid that people don't like you getting highly highly anxious all of those things are things that I've had issues with and I've had to work through and that's that's what what everyone can see at the top and where is it coming from underneath and this is kind of that, as you said before, holding a mirror up to yourself and figuring out where does these things come from within me? Why do I have that? Inter- why It's it's the, the lens through which you're interpreting the world. And sometimes there might be totally benign situations that aren't a personal attack and you've interpreted it as a personal attack. And because sometimes that history mm. and you're holding, you're carrying this suitcase since you were seven mm. and fucking old mate, Joe Bluggs doesn't know that. <laughs> he just wants it. Yeah. That's and they really interesting ding at the top of the iceberg, but it's yeah. hit you down at your very core. So, and then that also steps into knowing your worth. So you, you are allowed to, as you say, like ma- a man would just say, the deadline is blah. We are allowed to just say the deadline is blah without it meaning that you're not good enough. We're not kind enough. We're not nice enough. Or they won't like you and all of the other things mm-hmm. that our brain does, which comes from a place of approval seeking, which is that bottom of the iceberg again. Like this is us. Sometimes we just, and it, this isn't about deleting that stuff. That stuff is part of you. But it's knowing that it's there and then going, okay, I can see, ah, hello, then you've popped up again, you know, approval seeking, you've popped up again. I've got just and, you know, please and thank you and overly, overly cushioning my emails when I'm I'm trying to give a very direct. And just get a result. Yeah, you're just getting a result. <laughs> you know, particularly when you run a business and you manage people mm. and you're paying people and you can see the money literally <laughs> leaving your bank account. Sometimes you just want to be like, hey, I just need you to do this and I need you to complete it. And if it's not good enough, then we'll talk about it. And I I don't have time to have a therapy session with you every (laughs) single time we have a discussion about something. I mean, I I used to, I think I'm starting to do it less and less, particularly because we've we've sort of got newer staff where I don't have the background of the deep friendship. Not that I'm not friends with our newer staff, but I think I used to preface like any direct feedback. I'll be like, hey, I'm going to talk business now it's not personal mm. but I just I actually just need to be really direct now and I'm going to like just like talk about results and that it was actually quite helpful and I mean you know I'm also a sensitive soul at times so I think you know even with I work with my husband so sometimes we need to be really really direct with mm. each other and then sometimes we can have a snuggle on the couch yep so I Setting think like expectations and switching through the roles and knowing when you you know, and sometimes it's really good to just say to someone, hey, I'm just going to be really direct because also like we're all on the same freaking team here. Yes. We all want the same results. Yes. Like a win for you is a win for me. And me giving you this feedback is means that like I just want us to do better. Yeah. Yep. And then and that's I love that example of I'm going to go into business talk now. That's again, we're setting the expectation for the subsequent conversation. So we're, we're laying the, the groundwork to let the person hey, know. I'm. 
I'm covering my ass. Yeah, good job. CMA. What's CYA. That? I'll cover your ass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, I think like just to really re-emphasize to anyone who might be going through these tough periods where you are being crippled by the huge pain that is like a, a toxic workplace and, and the cumulative effect of that. It's a bit of a snowball on a, on a hill, you know, it gets one small, small thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And for everyone else in the workplace, they've forgotten, you know, the last 12 months of what's happened to you. But for you, you're walking in with that on your back every day. Um, and it can be exhausting. It can be burnout central. So I really encourage anyone who's gone through that or is going through that, like reach out, go and book in with your GP, get a mental health care plan, Go and speak to a psychologist and and let yourself have, you know, if we go back to the, the mental cup, the cognitive cup of your brain, when you talk to somebody who is, you know, a professional in the space, not, not a partner or a sister or a brother, but like really someone whose job it is to work through these things with you, you are emptying your cup. You are giving yourself a bit more bandwidth to be able to deal with what happens in life and deal with whatever shit gets thrown your way. So you, you don't have to do this alone is what I'm trying and to say. And you deserve to be heard and it's okay yeah. to not be okay. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Love it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's finish with the spiciest one of all. <laughs> Breaking up with a partner. Oh, God. Okay. So romantic relationship breakups yeah. are always a bit like walking over a field of landmines. <laughs> There's grief. Attachment, jealousy, blame, desperation, mm. insecurity. I mean, these are all things that I, you know, words that I sort of conjured up when I thought of breakups. The list goes on. Where is the best place to start when it comes to detangling yourself from a partner? Because it is, it's like there is just every crevice of your, mm. I mean, you know, for me at least, like when I'm in a relationship, I'm all in. Mm. Um, and, you know, a job you know, while work can be really all consuming at the end of the day, that's the job. And a friendship to, to an extent can be the same thing, but a partner, that's a, that's a really mm. a deep relationship. Yeah. And, and the thing about a breakup is there is a physiological part of your body that experiences that. So I always like to say, you know, there's a part of your brain it's called the anterior cingulate gyrus, which is the part that lights up when you feel emotional pain it's the same part of your brain that lights up when you feel physical pain. So if somebody like punched you or kicked you, it would light up. If somebody broke your heart, rejected you, called you a name, the same part of your brain lights up. Okay, validating, mm, really, mm, mm -hmm. because they talk about that a lot, you know, mm. dying of a break broken heart or something hurting, mm. like feeling that pain. Mm -hmm. The same part of your brain lights up. Yeah, and your, your reptilian brain is turning on and very literally is flooding your body with a bunch of stress hormones like cortisone, adrenaline, you know, that sick, awful, dreaded feeling you get, you know, and, and anyone going through a breakup, you know, that feeling of when you feel safe and it's maybe it's going to work out and then it, you don't feel safe and you're like, oh my God, it's not working out. And you immediately, your body is full of that awful, awful feeling. Every cell in your body is screaming at you, stop this, fix it, don't let this happen because your body doesn't want to be in that state of physiological pain. So in a breakup, literally taking Panadol, taking a Panadol helps. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Because you get neuro pain in your body. Your body physically feels the manifestation of, the, of what's occurring to you. So it's not just an emotional thing. It can be very, very deep, 
pain that we're experiencing. And that can make it really hard to navigate, you know, emotions when we break up because there is a lot going on there. We are in our reptilian brain. Um, I think a good signpost, if you think back on your previous relationships, you know, if you bumped into that person on the street, would it be cordial? Would it be polite? Like, hey, how you going? Nice to see you. Take care. Bye-bye. Or would it be like, your mother effing blah, <laughs> you know, like how do you speak about your exes? Is it like that person was so toxic? Like, What is the trail behind your partners? And Sometimes it's a little bit of a a good signpost for us because if all of our exes were saying, I could never speak to them again, if I bumped into them, we'd be screaming, they'd be screaming and yelling. I've got one common denominator there. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of starting to show us that there may be some parts of our own behavior that's contributing to how things are going in a, in a relationship. And it can be that we don't speak out when something's wrong and we, it, it blows up and we get hot and cold because, you know, we're, we're, we're into it. And then they do that one thing again and suddenly it's triggering this whole big backlash for us. Or we've been in a really traumatic relationship in the past where we got abused or taken for granted, emotionally manipulated, coercive control, financial power taken away from us, all sorts of things that can scar us. And then we might bring that in. We're all bringing stuff into a new relationship, which is why I said before, it's normal for us to have stuff. It's normal for us to fight. Everybody brings their baggage into a relationship. And it's about how you navigate with that partner. What is the dance that you do with them when you fight? We all do a dance. Maybe you learnt some steps in previous relationships. You learnt some dance steps and they learnt some dance steps. And you're, you, you, you want to do a different dance, a healthier dance together when you communicate, but you keep slipping back into this old way of fighting where it starts with this and then they start to yell and then I get defensive and then before we know it, we're screaming and then we, we depart and we don't speak for a week and then we come back together and it's big, like we keep going back to these old dance steps. So I think taking some time to reflect on how do I work in a relationship? What, how do I describe when I have an issue in a relationship? Am I forthcoming about it? Do I hide parts of myself from the person? Do I feel like I can be real and say, when you did this, it upset me? Um, do you feel like you can communicate when something went wrong? Do you feel like your partner then responds to what you've said in an adult fashion and a mature fashion and is able to take on board that information use it next time to improve things and if we if we can if we're growing together and each time we have an issue we get a little better at dealing with it we learn a new dance step together we get a little bit better that's really promising it's showing us we're going in the right direction but you might get to you know the three four month mark when the thin veneer of <laughs> the honeymoon wears off and you see the true person you go okay right and we're working on it i've explained the issues and that person just they're not engaging with me. And you kind of can think of it a bit like the triangle of parent, child, adult. Maybe sometimes we slip between being the child in the relationship. I'm naughty, I'm bad. Or the parent, you need to do it this way. And they put you in that parent role. Well, you didn't tell me. And they're forcing you into the parent role. We're we're not the parent or the child in a relationship. Neither of us are. We both want to be two healthy adults, which is two healthy people saying, no one's in trouble. No No one's bad or naughty. We're just two adults who are figuring out, do we align together? Do we align together? You might be somebody who, you know, you like to swear and yell in, in your fights, and but that doesn't align with me. Maybe you're somebody who likes to spend all their money on, you know, habits like, you know, doing heaps of substances on the weekend and drinking a lot. 
that's okay. You're not in trouble. That's, you're not in trouble. You're not a naughty child who's in trouble, but that doesn't align with me and my lifestyle. And that's what we're trying to figure out together. And it could be a respectful conversation of, are we trying to align together? Are we both working on compromising? You know, that doesn't align for me. Okay. I'm hearing you. Let me see what I can change so that we can align better or we're not. And we've got, we're working against each other. We're not on the same team and we're drifting further apart. And when we try to engage them, they're, they're unhealthy in their communication. And that's happening again and again and again. You can't engage them. They get angry. They pull away. They've gone into fight, flight, freeze, fawn, whatever it is. And if you just can't break through, it's not, I think it's important for me to emphasize, it's not your job to be your partner's therapist. It's not your job to be your partner's therapist. They need to learn those healthy skills themselves as you or me, you know, all of us individually need to take the responsibility of learning how to fight fair. And I think as individuals, we deserve to not have the same argument again and again. Mm. No one's perfect. Like you're not going to walk into a relationship with a perfect human. Mm. However, if you've been having the same fight for years and you don't think and you've, first of all, taken responsibility to be forthcoming and actually articulate what you want and need, not just being moody and stroppy and given the silent treatment and hope for the best that they freaking figure mind, it out. Mind read to figure yeah. it out. But mm-hmm. if you've actually sat down and had a conversation and that person hasn't, in my opinion, given you the respect to work on that and try to come to the table with, with what you think is what you deserve, then at some point, like something's got to give. Yeah, like life is too short. Yeah, exactly. And that that again is where we we might be realizing, you know, there's a pattern of behavior. I've given I've communicated the issue. I've told you what I need. I'm working on it too. If sometimes the writing is on the wall when another person is not in the mental health space to do that for you. Not necessarily for nefarious purposes. It's not like they maybe they're not a con. Like it might not be that they're a con artist jerk who's a psychopath who just wants who's out to get they're you. They're not evil. They <laughs> they're just, not evil. They're just not right for you. Yeah, and they're not in the the right mental health space to be able to give you what you need at that time. And it's okay to own that too, as two adults going. You know, like I love you, I care about you, but this is not working for me. Um, and I think you can see that too. And at this point, I think it's better. It's best for, I've got to do what's best for me. And I, I'm, I need to end this now because it's it's affecting it's affecting my health. It's affecting my mental health. Um, and I wish you all the best. Exactly, you know, in in that that place of we're not we're not being mean. You're not naughty or mean or bad because you had to break somebody's heart. This is us getting out of that model of parent child not your job to be their 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 mother or their father or their therapist you are not the parent and they are not the child who has to be protected you are two the healthy part of the triangle is we are two adults communicating together and notice within yourself if you go into that place of overly protecting somebody or feeling really defensive as the child's yeah or victimizing like i think it's like just because you're breaking up with someone doesn't mean that they're the big bad wolf nor does it mean that you're going to be their mother forever or that you're a jerk because you had to break up with them that yeah this is again just going back into that healthy space that frontal lobe we're not in our reptilian brain we're in the two adults working together mode do we align yes fantastic no 
Can we change it? Can we grow together? No. Okay. Well, that's all right then. Now it's time for us to part ways. But that's, that's a okay. skill, you it's know, such a like skill. <laughs> getting out of the old reptile brain and getting into the juicy frontal lobe. But the thing is, I think that the more you talk about it, the more that you listen to a podcast about it, if you go and talk to a professional about it, you are just A, normalising the concept, B, kind of giving yourself the prompt of self-awareness, mm. like the last time I reacted instead of responding to X, Y, Z, whether it was an email or your partner doing something, you go, oh, that, I just reacted. Like I didn't mm. even take a second, you know. I guess it's just like we all deserve to like have some self-discipline and mm. self-awareness and, yeah. you know, we, we can have such better outcomes but if we just have that, you know, you've got to have a bit of discipline and that's the mm. hard part. Yeah. Because being reactionary, I think, is a really, you know, it's a human condition mm. and it's an acquired skill to be responsive. Mm. And that's the nice place of, you know, what can we carve into our calendar that is frontal lobe time, you know? And maybe it's like we, you know, instead of discussing big topics as they pop up and when we're angry or right in the heat of the moment, we go, you know, every Sunday we check in, what did we do well this week? What can we do better next week? So we've carved out that space for not in the heat of the moment. You cannot have a teaching moment. You, you probably know with your daughter, Isabella, you cannot have a teaching moment when somebody has flipped their lid, when they're losing their shit. Like we can't, you cannot control someone who's not in control of themselves. So people who in the moment they're upset, it's it's 11 o'clock at night, you've just hit another obstacle. <laughs> Sometimes it is healthy to park those things and to carve out that safe time when our emotions have de-escalated. We know Sunday we're going to chat about this. We're going to talk about the feedback sandwich. This is what we did so well this week. Hey, this is what I noticed with our, again, giving the language of, you can say to your partner, I think we've learned some dance steps in the way that we communicate with each other. Um, and I, I'd like to learn some new dance steps with you. Let's learn some of those new dance steps together. How can we, it's not about the fight, what it, the behavior that caused the fight. Now we're talking about how we communicated when we had the disagreement and what can we do better next time when we have that disagreement? You know, this is what I need from you and this is what I can do for you in return. Absolutely. My husband and I have a, a rule. We have it in business, but we also have it in our relationship. And um, Chris, Chris says, you know, have the conversation. And so I always, and I think like this is out of respect to him, but also out of respect to myself. If something comes up where he's pissed me off and he's human and I'm human and it's going to happen, I say, hey, even if it wasn't a thing, because we're quite good at just like, you know, having a giggle and getting on with it. Mm. And, you know, but like I will say, hey, I know that we didn't have a fight and it was fine, but if I don't say this, I might harbour something. Yes. So I need to be like, when you did that, it really irritated me and I don't think X, Y, Z was fair and, like, basically, don't do it again. Mm -hmm. And he needs to be able to say that back to me. And I think yeah. having the conversation before it's even become a thing because yes. then there's no – there's no nothing escalates. There's not really an emotion. It's just been like, oi, no. Go that was irritating. That is exactly what I mean when I say – when at the start we were talking about, you know, your authentic self and speaking your truth and speaking out when something happens, that ability to feel safe in the relationship and safe within yourself that you can say, 
at the time when something happens or shortly afterwards when this happened, it upset me. It's not a big deal. You know, um, this is not going to cause a fight, but I just needed to let you know because if I don't let you know, I will harbour it. And, that's, and I don't want to harbour. Yes. I don't have time to harbour. But Bottling I mean, it up. I, I'm not, you know, Jesus, it took me, like I married this guy. There was a few before where I did not do that. And yeah. I think that that, again, like I didn't, I didn't just wake up, <laughs> woke and ready to I speak up like how this. I feel. <laughs> I did not. I wanted to be a cool girl. I wanted to please. I let things harbour. I let, you know, boys get away with shit that they never should have. Oh, no. um, and, mm. you know, also like, the benefit of time. Like I, I don't have any exes who I wouldn't greet with a hug and, mm. and a great catch up. But, you know, like high school boyfriend, when we broke up, that was like a goddamn divorce at the time. <laughs> there was so much emotion and completely Absolutely. unnecessary drama mm. and like just rife emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like, you know, I'm a firm believer, not saying that I, that any of my exes were frogs, but maybe <laughs> they were a frog for me. Like you've got to kiss a few to get, you know, figure out what you want. And also like, Probably when you're, you know, a teenager or you're in your early 20s, you're not your best version of yourself and that's okay. But that's what that's <laughs> you're probably not going to be able to bring your best self forward to a relationship. That's the beautiful part of this is like we don't have to hate that part of ourselves. We don't have to be ashamed of that part of ourselves. Your anxiety or your insecurities are what makes you you, which is probably a very hard worker. Probably somebody who puts goes above and beyond in what they do for other people. Probably somebody who loves in abundance and will give the shirt off their back to help somebody help a friend who genuinely comes from a place of love and everything that you do comes from a place of love, you know, and those are beautiful parts of yourself that you can love that you don't have to deny exist and are there because of the beautiful parts of you, but also because of the parts of you that you probably don't like so much, but all of it worked together to make you. So this is us again, working with that double-edged sword of what are your gifts? What are you good at? And what are some things that we might need to tweak a bit and ameliorate for a bit? And this is us just, this is the journey of self-improvement, you know? Yeah. And also like self-acceptance. I don't know about you, but like, I don't want to be friends with someone who's perfect. (laughs) How goddamn boring. Like, I really think that we need to understand and accept that there are things that you're going to be shit at. Learn to laugh at them. Mm. Learn to use them as an empathy tool. Hey, man, Mm. I suck at that too. I, you know, I do that too. Let's, let's like, you know, work together on that. Let's find solace in each other with that. Like, I just think that, you know, perfectionism is boring and it's a hard gig and, you know, sometimes like being able to embrace the softer part of you, not let it completely control you, but embrace that part of you is actually like where all the good stuff happens. Hmm. Like my favourite convos with my friends aren't like, I mean, don't get me wrong, love hearing about their successes. I will be their hype girl until the day I die. But you know what's even better? Being like, I fucked up today and I'm like, me too. And let's talk about that. Or like, you know, that's, that's where the being magic real. happens. That's They're where the meat real. is. Yeah, You're that's authentic. The that's when relationships go from, you know, maybe a like superficial or good relationship into a 
deep and meaningful relationship and they're that friend who can walk in on you while you're on the can and yes. you're like hey girl and they're Baby, like, I only have friendships like that I, tr- I actually can't I actually can't have friends who are on surface level I just don't have time for it mm. I'm like famous within my friendship group for absolutely hating small talk I can't do it <laughs> particularly if I've had like one standard drink I'm like okay so like get cool I don't really want to hear about the weather like let's get real let's talk about something real it's just I I find it intolerable. Um, see, my husband actually quite likes small talk to a degree. He quite likes that kind of surface level. And I'm like, I'm bored. <laughs> I'm like, tell me tell me about a childhood trauma. <laughs> <laughs> What's your sex life like? <laughs> I, I want to hear. That I want to hear about. Let's get to the meat. <laughs> and that's what this podcast is all about. And, you know, at the start, like, you know, I'm not going to edit out a little fuck up. <laughs> listeners You're aren't real. here for that oh they're not here for they're not here for perfect production <laughs> they would not be a part of the beaches community if they were we're yeah. not polished we're not shiny but hopefully we we are um we're someone who's just like them yeah real that's it and and imperfect in your own way babe i enjoyed this so <laughs> much <too. laughs> i you are very impressive oh, and stop it. excellent <laughs> Thank at you. articulating thanks girl really helpful points and also i love that in the book it's not like a wishy-washy kind of it's all like extended paragraphs about feelings i love that you've got like actual scripts how to because i feel like i mean the internet is full of this crap right <laughs> They'll, they'll give you a, 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 what do they call it, clickbait. They'll give you a, a, a title on an mm. article, how to do this. And you're like, yes, I do want to know how mm. to improve my hydration in three easy steps. And then you click on the article and it's like, water is good for you. We need mm. more. Like, do you know what? I mean, Fluffy. obviously that's a really shitty example, but I like that you actually are getting to the crux of the issue with real how-to steps, not just talking about it. Mm, yeah. And there's, I mean, I'll just note for anyone who gets it on Audible, like I, I try to give, I give a lot of neuroscience because I love neuroscience. And I think if you respect the intelligence of the reader, like, hey, this is what's actually going on in your brain when you're exposed to a chronic toxic person. This is what happens to your brain on a physiological level, because I think that people need to know the science behind it because yes. then they feel empowered to go, oh, fuck that. I'm not having that anymore. So in the book I give, um, information about the neuroscience but I've also got lots of footnotes at the bottom where I've got good juicy chunks of more neuroscience so I will say for audible listeners I'm so sorry (laughs) there's no footnotes in audible unfortunately but if you get the physical hard copy or if you get the ebook that has all the footnotes as well again so much respect for that I'm all about science backed Mm. evidence Mm. and research um not like a feeling in the moon and the tide and a crystal don't get me wrong love a bit of woo woo but For me, I want to implement changes and positive habits in my life that are science-backed. And if I'm a bitch, it's not because my moon is in retrograde. It's because uh, my reptilian brain turned on or maybe a past trauma was triggered. And I need to take responsibility for that and not say that, oh, it's an Aries thing, it's a Leo thing. Again, love star signs, but I think we're going a little too far in that direction. Or, you know, you go like, well, what's the longitudinal impact of chronic exposure to a toxic, strained friendship? Well, the literature tells us it's on par with the damaging health effects of obesity and smoking for your long-term health. Yeah. 
So when you're in your 50s and your 60s, 70s, 80s, the impact of you, you might, a lot of people might think, oh, look, it's just Sally. That's just the way she is. That's fine. She's just that, she's just that friend, Jackal or Hyde, you know, she's just that friend. But really don't understand the impact. It's like, you know, giving someone a vape or a cigarette, but never explaining the health effects of it. Sometimes you might reevaluate your choices if you know what the impact is on your health. And if you're chronically exposed to a toxic influence, there are a myriad of cardiovascular risks, health risks associated with that because of the strain that your body is under for a prolonged period of time. So I think it's really empowering to respect the reader's intelligence and say, hey, here's the stats, here's the data. And then you're so much more empowered to go, is this worth it? Maybe we're reevaluating that now. Yes. That's like <laughs> all I can say. I'm just looking at you and nodding. Tori's eyes are like super big. <laughs> oh, babe, we could go on and on about we this. Could. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. I know that the peachy fam out there is going to love this one. And guys, just a reminder, it's Hannah Coral. Um, it's spelt Corel. Um, and her book is How to Break Up with Friends. Where can we find it? So if you guys want to come and join me on uh, my Insta, it's at no bull psych. And I've got a little linked tree. It's probably the best way to find things because, you know, Google, whatever. Just use the link tree. You know what? The links go Our directly. show notes will have all of this anyway. Head <laughs> to the show notes of this podcast yeah. episode. You're, yeah. Booktopia. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Laters.